And welcome. We are hanging out today on Clubhouse and also on the Restream. And we will be talking to Dr. David Swanson, a licensed clinical psychologist, to talk about the Rock Collective. We'll tell you more about that in a second. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Maria G on the restream is asking thoughts on Paxlovid. Paxlovid is a is a game changer. That and Molnupiravir, these are outstanding medications. And the fact that we're not educating people how and when to use them is astonishing to me. These are these make COVID a nothing. And the the problem is we haven't even decided yet who deserves it, who's going to get it, other than people at risk of getting severe disease. I had a 40-something-year-old 40 40 man who nearly died. I could tell he was going down hard and fast, could not get him Paxlovid. So please, uh, we should be using Paxlovid. Well, we certainly should be using Molnupiravir even for exposure, post-exposure prophylaxis uh, for people that have been exposed, and definitely Paxlovid for anybody who's sick, uh, even certainly over the age of 60. All right, let's bring in our guest, psychologist Dr. David Swanson. He formed the Rock Collective to build a mutually supportive community amongst Rock's bands and Rock fans. They have monthly events at the Hard Rock at Hollywood. They feature live music from emerging rock bands in Los Angeles. The mission of the collective is to help up-and-coming artists break through to the next level. And after two years of lockdown, it's a pleasure to see people organizing uh, public events. Uh, rock for Life, there is the, is that a billboard or is that a, where'd you get that? That's pretty interesting. Uh, that is April 24th. We want you to be there. Is there a website? Hey, Dr. David Swanson, welcome. Good to see you again. Yeah, no, there you is a website. Well. David, <laughs> oh, okay, the website so is Rock for Life? Rock, yeah, the, the event is called Rock for Life. The website is rockcollective.net. Um, essentially, what we're looking to do is to raise awareness around the issues of mental health and substance abuse. We've lost so many great musicians and icons over the years because of this, most recently Taylor Hawkins. And we have a number of bands who really want to play, pay tribute. And we've partnered with Sweet Relief uh, and Check Your Head uh, podcast. And so we're hoping to make it a big event and raise a lot of money for them as well because they do a lot of good for the community. Great. Congratulations. Uh, and I know your son's in a rock band too, right? He's in a band called Hunted, uh, at Hunted Band. And, you know, quite honestly, they were the reason that I came up with this idea. There, there's so many of these young bands who are so incredibly talented. And uh, the music industry has changed so much that uh, one of the ways that these bands get support uh, from a label for tours and other things is they have a lot of fan. They have a huge fan base. But the music industry had shifted in such a way that now everything's about pay to play. So if you've heard these iconic stages like the Roxy or the Troubadour or things like that, anybody can get on that stage. You just got to pay your money to do so. And it makes it very difficult oh for them. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough to get exposure because, you know, the guy in front of you could have paid his money and he's a pop artist. And the next guy's a country artist that goes on after you. So this was a way wow. to get a bunch of rock fans and rock fans together and do it at one location. Yeah. 
that is i did not realize you pay to get on those stages how do how do, how do, do. bands make money you know, oh. they, they tend to make money on their merch sales, but it's it's rough because a lot of these bands, they don't have a lot of money. What they have is talent and they have time. So they invest an awful lot in terms of writing music uh, and getting out there and performing. So on top of that, now you've got to be the producer of a show and you've got to be a promoter to go out there and sell all these tickets. It makes it really rough to get ahead. But I think what we're doing, it's, it's growing like wildfire. I think our last event, we launched in January. Our last event had over 300 people come out to it. So it's, it's really growing. Oh, so cool. I'm excited. Yeah, and these guys are they're, they're loving so it. More, they're meeting. What's that? One more, one more time. Where is this, and and where do they go? When is it? So we partner with the Hard Rock Cafe, uh, and so all of our events they happen once a month. The calendar is on RockCollective.net. You can see it there. Uh, you could follow us on uh, at LA Rock Collective on Instagram. Uh, so essentially what it is, is once a month, the Hard Rock holds these events. We've partnered with a record label. We are triumphant. We have a number of other opportunities from, from everything, from uh, uh, artist relation discounts for these guys up to uh, we get their music on music apps as well. So a lot of great opportunities for them. But if you want to come out and see a live show, which these bands are incredibly talented, uh, it's at the Hard Rock once a month in Hollywood. I, I can't picture where the Hollywood Hard Rock is. Where is it exactly? It's at the Dolby. So f figure it's right there on okay. Hollywood Boulevard next to Highland. So it's a great location, a great stage, and it's it's a ton of fun. I'm I'm having a blast. I well, tend to moved. sit in these Is that a new is that a new one? Is that a new hard yeah, rock? I don't remember I, there being one there. Well, remember they had one at Universal, the City Walk. And I yeah. think they had yeah. one on Wilster and Fairfax, was it? And I and I think that, that No, one, it was on no, Sunset. No. It was on the corner. Remember, remember you had drdrew.com party there that first time with um, the Hard Rock with um, Sunset. With um, you're talking about the House of Blues. That was the House of Blues. Oh, never mind. Yeah, ah, shit. <laughs> I know they. Uh, yeah, no, everything. That's all torn down. <laughs> yeah, that's all torn down. Crazy. That's a big high rise sitting there right now. Yeah. All right, so Hard Rock used to be Universal. Now it's uh, by the the. Dolby, the that's the Cinerama thing on on isn't that on Sunset? It, well, it's on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. Uh -oh. I think it's right across. They shoot Jimmy Kimmel. Everybody, Google it if you want to go. We'll give. I just yeah. put up the link on the website. Oh, the Dol uh, the the Academy Awards Theater. Okay, right, it's right, right. Collective dot yes. net. So yes. you can get tickets yeah. there, right? Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, you I was thinking the Cinerama Theater for some reason. Yeah. Okay. Go oh, on. no. Yes. Right yeah. in Hollywood, right by Highland. Yeah. I, yeah. It's all where the, where the action good burger. is. Very busy down there. Okay, good. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So let's, let's step back for a minute from the event and talk about what we're seeing out there uh, in the post-COVID world. Uh, are, you, are you treating many adolescents? I, I am. And I'm seeing a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not good. And, um, and how would you characterize it? You know, during COVID, uh, what I saw a lot of was these kids who felt that they were invincible, uh, missing out on parties because their parents were uh, concerned. And then they'd go on social media, which you'll have a guest coming up next week, I believe, talking about social media. But uh, they'd see their friends at parties and things like that. They felt they were completely disconnected. I uh, did a few stories um, based on some of this COVID stuff during the pandemic where uh, kids were so out of touch with their friends that they didn't even, they weren't getting the physical feedback. So they didn't really know if these were really my friends or not. A lot of anxiety, a lot mm. of depression. 
Uh, and then, of course, the parents were having a tough time. Some parents lost their jobs. Some parents, you know, were having issues with uh, substance abuse, and and some were even divorcing because of this increased tension at home. Uh, now, what I'm seeing coming out of it is kind of more of the same, but I'm seeing a lot of anxiety. I don't know if you're seeing that. Well, I I've been seeing it all the way along, and it could only be so. I mean, we we. When I look at what we did to people, it's just uh, unbelievable. Just, just the idea that people thought that the risk of hospitalization for a forty-year-old with COVID was fifty percent, yeah, way less than one percent. You know, is that people were people were freaking out about they, the press freaked everybody. They traumatized people, and so yeah. they were people have been sort of in that survival mode of trauma, and now of course they're going to get the post-traumatic symptoms. And every psychiatrist, particularly those that I that are adult, child and adolescent psychiatrists, just tell me the same thing: anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression. That's all they're seeing. Like it's insane. And and we did that to to eight. I really the whole time I could see it happening to really like eight to fifteen year olds because they mm -hmm. they were the most sort of um, disconnected from their developmental process. Yeah. And that was an age group where there's rapid change, both biologically and, and socially. And they were completely, I, I keep telling people the one thing that got my attention uh, on what we did, we willfully did to children, uh, was when I was watching the Ukrainian moms, right, heading into Poland. We have all these moms uh, heading into Poland, and they're usually with several kids in tow. And the reporters are putting microphones in their face. And the women, first thing they say, it's terrible, it's awful, we're worried about the men left behind. And then within three sentences, they would say, and these kids have been out of school for two weeks. Two weeks! Yeah. we got to get them back in school. It's been two weeks. And I thought, oh my God, they are so right to be concerned like that. They put them in Polish-speaking schools. They felt it was so important to get going in their social environment and their academic environment. And we just nuke that it's disgusting yeah. to me it really is disgusting and no no pre-planning no nod to we're going to get this on the other side or here's some tools to help get us across this lockdown it just was here's a here's an ipad you know if if you get back to school we're going to give you an ipad where you're going to be exposed to a bunch of sexting and pornographic material and you know I, we're going to we're going to pay no attention to what the risks are to you uh, online I, I don't know. I, I've been upset about this since the beginning. And it was and I and, and by the way, nobody recommended it. It was not recommended anywhere from a medical standpoint. I uh you know, I understand at the beginning we were trying to figure out what to do and, and I was okay for it for a couple of weeks, but I was doing a show locally here on Fox Eleven. What's the matter, Susan? Oh, don't talk you're talking too much? You is it is it a strikes back moment? <laughs> She's laughing at me. Yeah, no, listen, but let me just finish. I gotta get your I'm gonna finish the yeah. yeah, I'm going to finish this one thought. If You already derailed me. I've already lost what the thought was. So I, I was on Fox 11 here. I, I had a show. I had a show here locally every night during the first year of COVID. And we were on the air when LA Unified decided to lock down. And one of the school board members came in. I said, who told you to do this? Where did this come from? Why did you decide? We just decided. It's like, and no, and no plan, no, uh, yes, we have to do this. And that's how they did it. And the idea that it was an okay thing to do indefinitely the way they did it was just really bad. Wrong with a capital W. And you're seeing some of the fallout. Yeah, it's horrible. And I, I, listen, since we're going down this road, uh, have you seen the, the paper out of uh, the lit review out of John Hopkins? No. Have you seen this paper? Uh, now I'm ready to what go. It, 
What, what's it called? Uh, no, yeah. I'm going to find it. What's the title? All right. So it's saying basically it's out of John Hopkins. I don't know the, the, the title of it, but what it basically said was given everything that we did in this country to keep people safe during COVID. And of course we didn't know going into this, but they're saying with the lockdowns and all of that stuff, the school stuff, we prevented deaths in this country by two tenths of 1%. That's what it's, yeah, that that's the one right. Yeah, Th that sounds so about right. Because the, the, the one thing I learned is that the virus does what the virus does. It just does what it does. Mm -hmm. You can change the time course, but you can't really change much of what it does. Now, thank God we came up with vaccines. It gave us time to do that, theoretically. So, okay. Uh, and we came up with some treatments now that people aren't using. That's why I was complaining about it at the beginning of this. But keep going. Tell me more about that article. No, I just, when I see that and I think about all the businesses that were closed, I mean, for, for musicians in general, because that's what, that, that I'm involved in now, it's that, you know, yeah. I watched my son, for example, that, that writing music is his therapy, you know, like his, his ability to kind of express and articulate his thoughts, like talking one-on-one, -on -one, he's okay at it. But when he writes a song, you can really feel what it is that he's feeling and showing up on mm -hmm. a stage and there's nobody there. Cause those stages were shut down for these people for two years. Right. And, and that's like showing up to the doctor's mm -hmm. office and your psychologist ain't sitting in the chair in front of you. It's like you're, you're talking to an empty right. chair. So, so many people suffered because we took away that social interaction. And I could also tell you that a lot of people also feel completely disconnected from their families in ways that they never had. You know, it's, it's kind of, is it okay to hug my grandmother now? Is it okay to, you know, hug my, my uncle? It, it, there's just such a weird sort of disconnect that we're still yeah. overcoming today so it's yeah no i think for kids and adolescents no you're absolutely right they've suffered the rates of suicidality and and, and attempts in the er they're seeing a, a a doubling of it since 2019 for girls it's been horrible for them but ho hopefully Whoa. we can get away from all of the emotional stuff and start to focus on the data and really make wise choices well yeah uh, although so I girls got hit harder than boys is that oh, what you it's mean it's usually the case yeah probably yeah they're so social or yeah, mm -hmm. well yeah I, it's just for 2019 it was 51 percent for for adolescent girls and boys i think uh oh. it, it might have like four percent the boys for whatever reason weren't as affected as the girls mm. yeah yeah but it's, it's yeah, been it's, rough uh, and i hope I'm still, but you, but to be honest with you, though, I still see a big disconnect between uh, the data and actual, uh, you know, uh, practices in terms of keeping people safe. It's, it's still, it's still going on. But, uh, and I think that is because well, we're so, so riddled with, fear, you know. It, would it be, would it be accurate to say the data isn't reflecting how profound this thing is? Well, on, on the emotional uh, side. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. obviously, look, it's better safe than sorry. And so we, we did this big lockdown, shelter in place, wear a mask, get your vaccine. Thank God for the vaccine. Uh, but but now I think what we're starting to see is how profoundly these people, not just musicians, but but everybody uh, was mm -hmm. was really affected by the disconnect, you know. Um, yep. So yep. It, it's just it's yep. interesting getting back into it now. I think we've all been traumatized because, you know, mm -hmm think you know i'll see people driving around in cars by themselves wearing a mask i'll get into an elevator without my mask now and people look at me like i'm a bad person i mean it's, it's just it, it is so it, we're still riddled with fear and hopefully we can move past it at some point because it is endemic at this point yeah we're not, I, we're not really deep I've, I've told anyway. i've told the story that i was uh i was running uh, in my neighborhood you know down the street and I, just to be nice i ran into the gutter while i ran past this old man who was walking by himself like double masked and, and he recoiled from me like I was on fire. I mean, it was just, 
it, it, this thing does not transmit outside. It does not transmit outside. Yeah. It just doesn't. And so, anyway, but whatever, uh, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so well, I, I don't know about you, but I'm obviously kind of angry about it. How do you feel? Um, I, I just feel like a uh, a constant current of, uh, I wouldn't call it like a dysthymic current, but just just constant feeling. It's just like a current of sadness. Just that we've we've been through so much, yeah. and and um, you know, we're just so disconnected as people. And you know, when you start talking about this, you also start. I mean, you brought up Ukraine. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. You know. You know, that, that is, yeah. I'll say, that is the one thing. I'm a psychologist and I started this rock collective. And, you know, my wife says, gosh, you spend so much time doing this, you know, but I, I got to be honest with you, when I'm involved with this and when I'm involved with the music, it offers me an ability to get in touch with something that it just feels great. It feels happy. You know, this, this collective, when yeah. you go to the hard rock there, um, it doesn't matter who you are. You can walk in and say hi to anybody you want. And everybody's there so kind and sweet. You just feel like you're a part of a community that is just lighter than the rest of the world. So I, I appreciate that. And I, I look for things like that. Uh, and I think we all need things like that. Well, yeah. So let's let's be more explicit about this. You're, you're literally describing one of the things we can do to sort of lift if we're not if we're able to function and we're not having serious mental illness we're just having what all of us seem to have which is sort of anxiety and depression sort of low level and, and like you said sadness and maybe some you know residual traumatic feelings what are the kinds of things so you're saying be part of a community find opportunities to give back what, what else can we do well i think for a lot of people you know it's it's so important if, if you're capable of looking at the data, do your own research and, and start to offer yourself some degree of exposure. You know, it's important to get out and start to live life again. Uh, it's important to get in yes. touch with the communities you want to be a part of. It's important to get together with your friends and family again. Um, you know, it's important to, um, you know, I, I know this is kind of an odd thing, but I notice also as people get together, they, um, they, they really don't have that history they used to have that they can't easily relate to one another because something just didn't happen six months ago that we're talking about. So they bring up things that they can start to connect over. And unfortunately, a lot, a lot of times those things have to do with politics. And of course, that's an ugly disaster. So I think, you know, planning to get out with people and do things together so you have an experience to share in as opposed to sit down and talk over a meal at this point, I would say get out and do things. Uh, but we got to start living I, I, yeah. life. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, you said it in just one word, you know, one phrase, which is you got to start living, and people want yeah. to live, and it and it's it's I don't know, it's still something hanging over us. Don't you notice that? I, I still feel like there's a a something. I, I don't know, maybe it's a, a, a anticipatory anxiety. You know, once you've been through stuff like this, you're you're already sort of on alert that something else might happen. I wonder if it's that, you know, that's sort of left, that's sort of part of what PTSD is, right? And so I'm wondering if I that is. is just going to be with us. For, yeah. No, it, I think it is trauma. I think we've all been through it. There's no way you could take away someone's social life for two years, take them away from their family for three. This is like, what do they call it in prison? Uh, solitary confinement. <laughs> it's really yeah. what yeah. it kind of felt like. You know what I mean? So now, now we have it. I, I remember seeing this thing uh, on fleas that uh, you it know, was for my 28 year old in the pool house. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. He wow. had yeah. solitary yeah. confinement for nine months. He sat out there. He didn't go out on a date. He didn't do anything. And then, and then he got COVID 
<laughs> you got a bat from Drew. Yeah. You got Alpha. No, yeah. no. Uh, was yeah, he, Alpha. He, yeah, he yeah, got it. For me, yeah. You got it. He got it for Christmas, yeah. and um, and then he was yeah. like, and it was nothing. He was like, why did I just spend nine months in solitary confinement? And he yeah. he's still a little off. We got really depressed too. So, I mean, we're not immune to it. I mean, of course not. This family was affected pretty heavily too. I mean, we're better than most. Like we're okay, but it's like. I, I can't imagine that what happened in the rest, you know, to the rest of the millennials and young kids, especially like kids that are, that were supposed to go to college and they end up having to stay at home with their parents and, you know, or, or just even like, you know, we have people who had like four, four kids at home, you know, and they had to homeschool them. And that's for the parents. It's, that's even worse. Yeah. And that's again, survival yeah. mode stuff, you know, you look at the other end too, you have some kids who are like seven, eight years old and for the first time they're going to school. You know what I mean? And and all of that stuff, the the online school and and even therapy. I would sit here and watch, like I, I do this virtual therapy. There's four months that I took time out of the office just because I noticed the numbers were creeping up. I'm 53, so I thought yeah, I'm kind of at risk, so let's be safe about it, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. the uh, what I would see is on the screen, the screen would keep, the face would keep changing color. So I knew they were playing a game while they're talking to me. I mean, it was just, trying to do therapy or connect with anybody over the internet is it, it's not the same. You miss so much. Um, but I, I do remember when you guys went through that and drew, I remember you got hit pretty hard. And I, I, I remember some of the videos you were posting. I, it, it was, it was a cause for concern. It was very worrisome, you know? Um, but I, I listen, there was, there was this, uh, example that keeps airing. If you watch TikTok or whatnot, there's always this thing that comes on there and it has to do with fleas that fleas can jump like six inches or eight inches, whatever they can jump. But if you put them in a jar with a lid where they can only jump, you know, three inches, uh, they will adjust their jumping. They will adjust their height. And when you take the lid off, they won't jump any higher anymore. And their kids will be, oh. you know, in terms of their, oh, and, and so I, but this is what it feels like with COVID, like this whole social yeah. thing, this isolation, trying to get out of it. It just seems like that that lid is taken off and we still don't want to jump. It's just, it, you know, people are still afraid and quite honestly, not sure how to act because I, I, I think some of the people I work with at least are afraid of judgment. I know I feel it sometimes. I'm not wearing a mask. So afraid we'll work of, our way out. Wait of a minute. Afraid of judgment, like afraid of engaging in life because they'll be judged by somebody. Oh, well. That's you you horrible. tell me right, during the pandemic and, and Susan, you too. Uh, if somebody if somebody was not wearing, if they refused to wear a mask during the pandemic, and I'm not talking, I'm not making a, a you know whether or not they were smart or wise to do it, but what presidential candidate did they support? R right. I mean, that's well, that, that, but it's not. But it's not whether they did support him or not. The assumption was you you're accused of it. You yeah. must be that. You must be that person. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I Where had a feeling because, like, uh, I right. didn't really realize. I mean, I mean we work right. from home. We were able to, like, keep moving and, and staying busy and stuff like that. But when I went into Pasadena and it was, you know, probably like a month ago or a month and a half mm -hmm. ago, I guess the mandates were still up in, in California. But what I didn't know was in L.A. County, you had to wear them outside. So I was, like, walking around and I was being judged. I was like, oh, shit, I got to put a mask on. Like, this is, you know, it's such a weird feeling because you don't want to be, look like you're, you're going against it, you know. But, like, if you forget a mask and you jump on a bus and then they go, oh, you have to have a mask. And I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't bring one. You feel so bad. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. how could I do that? But I think I've only yeah. done that once in the, the last the two years. The level of incompetence <laughs> on display by public health was 
breathtaking. But even the virtue signaling in Pasadena was so I crazy. I know. It was it bad was here. So I saw it. And I couldn't believe it. And I thought, what have we done to people? What have we done? You talk about a panic disorder. You know, people running, jumping we, away from each we other. We kind of got away with it for being old. But, you know, we got, you know without the mask so we had a choice closed beaches and parks <laughs> they closed beaches and parks right, exactly Julie. where right, they should right. have been sending people and then okay. when they opened you, them they said you can't let you can you can go you just can't lie a towel down <laughs> don't lie a towel down because we're yeah. gonna have you arrested if you lie down on the beach <laughs> that is that is it is so stupid that is incompetence like of the first order it is disgusting i mean i'd I like know an Drew's apology really angry I'd like an apology i know drew's really he sounds I really apologize angry, for but what i got Drew, wrong you gotta look at it like like it's funny it's oh. so bad it's funny you know it's like holy cow you know it, it is look i i also am very frustrated about it uh in the sense that i think about because i'm on the receiving end of the the impact it's had on people you know, the, right. the, the anxiety, depression, yeah. the increased substance use and abuse, the, the, the divorces that I've seen, um, the fear yep. of just like people being able to go. I mean, these are people that look like they have OCD now. These are people that that have yep. such horrible anxiety uh, that, you know, it's been a trauma by some invisible invader that's going to kill you. And you have, you know, it's just a matter of like, it's like playing roulette. If, if, if age, yeah, sure. Age. Yeah. Put you at risk, but you never know, you know, that kind of thing. And so I'm on the receiving end of that. And I think what really got put out there was how dangerous this thing was, as opposed to who's really at risk and what you can do to be safe. I mean, that, the data really the didn't probability get out. of a, that's, they refused to let it out. They, they obfuscated it. And the reality is the probability of death of an 85, 80 year old versus a 17 year old is 5,000 times greater for the 80 year old, 5,000 in biological yeah. systems. That's approaching infinity. And then you, and then, you know, I remember when I was sick, I've mentioned this many, many times was, uh, People are like, were you scared? I'm like, why would I be scared? I had a 1% fatality rate as a six-year-old, 1%. When, when a doctor tells yeah. you you have a 99% probability of recovery, don't worry about that 1%. It's not going to happen to you. It just doesn't happen like that. And the, the reality is they thought it was like 50% or 70%. No, it, it's a, it's a, it was nasty and it's a pain in the ass and yeah. there's residual and it's all bad. And, you know, it's a lot of illnesses are bad. This all, I had prostate cancer. That sucks too. There's all kinds of shitty illnesses. This is just another one. It just happened to be very, very, very contagious. That was the, the, really the problem with it, but we should have been, you know, we should have been really quarantining and protecting the people who were at high, high risk. But I want to take a minute and say, thank you, Susan, for not being one of those people that went some other direction with this. You know what I mean? I mean that you were we were aligned at least in our feeling about all this. And so, I mean, you know, I, I am a little bit that. rebellious on, on certain <laughs> occasions, but like when I'm on an airplane, I do when I need air, I pull it down under my nose for a couple minutes. All but, I'm saying is you could have been an OC, you know, you could have been. Uh, by the way, I'm sorry. No CD about it. I'm not. Did you guys? Did you guys? By the way, I, I, we we could certainly you know shift the subject but the, the point did you guys ever see those pictures about people standing in the airport with their mask on six feet apart and the next picture is them crammed into an airplane together have you seen have you yeah. seen these pictures? Yeah, of course of course, of course. Oh, I, know. I, of course. I know and it's like oh but you can pull it down and eat your peanuts and then we got to put it right back up it's like <laughs> this this has Jesus. been this take has a been, sip and put it back up but this has been my point yeah. from from the get-go which is if these things work 
and work well, I would be completely in support of all of it. But they don't work and they cause harm, immense harm, immense harm, and don't work. We can't argue about whether it works or not. They don't work. The virus does what it does. As you said, the big Johns Hopkins survey showed a 0.2% effect on fatality rates, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You, I want you to the see meantime, the because I'm actually After this, I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. All right, you got to send it to me. Let's uh, take yeah. a quick call here. Yeah, let's let the people speak here. How dare you, Susan? What are you talking about? Are you suggesting <laughs> I'm talking too much? Is that what you're saying? I know you don't. I don't. I know you. Wanna... Like, you know, the last time I I saw David, he was like, he asked me. He goes, it was right when the kids went off to school, and he goes, "How does yep. it feel, oh, you yeah. know, to be a empty nester?" And I said, "Fantastic." And I was like, "I cannot wait for them to get out fast enough." And then he goes, he said to me, he "Goes well, it doesn't hurt to have three television shows, and you know, mm. <laughs> the right every five minutes." Yeah, but that was there. I remember, I remember <laughs> but then that. that all stopped. That all Susan, stopped. I remember, Do you remember that. Stopped. I, I do. I remember you dropped one off to school, and I remember the blinds were in disarray. Like you were really upset about the blinds. I think in the back of the room. Am I? Am I? Am oh, I oh it's Paulina. And Paulina's. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> Martha really Stewart went to Barnard. You'd think she'd throw a coat of paint on these walls after she left. For yeah. sake. Don't leave her here. Bad, but <laughs> but you know what? They were fine. They loved it. Their first year went. You know, was seamless. They they got through the first year. I always said, you know, if they can go the first year and make it through the whole year, then they're going to be able to do the next four years, three years. Well, that's actually data. That's if you actually, actually if you just have a, you just make sure that everything goes well for them. And uh, we tried our hardest. We had to hide your prostate cancer from them for a while, but, yeah. but you know, it was, it was so wonderful. I, I know a lot of people think that it's going to be the end of the world when their kids leave, but I'm, I have three living with me right now, David. They came back during COVID. Yeah. So COVID sent them home. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to say that I, I do like them as adults a lot better than when they were 18. When they were 18, I was much more ready to get them out. But because they are nice to me now and they, they appreciate me, which is so weird. But um, and I don't know why. But um, yeah, so they came back. So they're, I'm not an empty nester you, anymore. You know why they appreciate you? They're, they're starting to understand that life is hard. I want to. I need a therapy session here, Drew. Okay, okay. Okay, go so. ahead. Finish up. Go ahead. God of butts. I, I've called you up to the podium here. God of butts. If you want to ask a question, you're you're on the podium. But go ahead. Do you finish your finish your session, there, Susan? So. I don't know, David. I'll be okay. I I, I listen. I, I just I'm remember. I'm just happy. They all lived yeah, through it. You know. We're, yeah. I think it's great that they're back. I mean, it's, it's certainly as we get older, we so much value that time that we get with them because it gets less and less. But I, I, I do remember sitting with you uh, and, and, and kind of half jokingly talking about the naked time you and Drew could have at home. <laughs> you know? yep. And it happened four years of it and then it was over. <laughs> yeah. so Although yep. you could See, freak him out. <laughs> That's how we'll get him out of here. That's how we're well, gonna do we it. We almost did the other day, but <laughs> it's okay. Nothing, nothing graphic. It, it, it was okay. No, we all, we have have, all been laughing about that because they just they just yeah. walk into my bedroom. They never knock, nor does the housekeeper. I'm always standing there nude, and and it's like Did you <laughs> knock, you know. Um, but we had a little discussion about it. I said, yeah, you guys should probably knock on the door. It's a, probably a good yeah. idea. We're all hiding from each other in this house now. So yeah, we, but they're adults, so it's okay. They're okay. Yeah. They're going to be fine. They're, 
Yeah. Maybe I'm I'll about to lose my life. But... <laughs> my, my youngest one, my youngest one's going to be going to Pepperdine. And so, yeah, we have one at LMU, one at Pepperdine. And my oldest one who's in the band is the only one who's, he, he went to school to get a trade. He did a sound engineering thing, but he's going a different route. So I, I get to have him a little bit longer, uh, but I'm sad to see the younger two leave. I, I don't, you know, I don't like it because I'm, I love my kids. <laughs> like, not that you don't, but it's, it's for me, like, uh, I don't get out of the house a lot. <laughs> so when I get to see them, I have a buddy to hang out with. But with them gone, it's I just find that I have to find new things to do. So my wife and I will have to yeah. find some new hobbies. Yeah. You will. Maybe you will. You got to get you out of the house more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, we back, Susan, are you good? You're, you're... Yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm good. Okay. Any more in your session? Would you like to keep going? No, or? no, I'm just, I was kind of joking. I'm fine. Okay. Uh, it, you know, we're talking, but you, you, but you must have thoughts and feelings about what we've been talking about, Susan, right? I mean, you've lived through all this. And we've been talking about this for a year, Drew, so I'm, I'm good. You just keep moving. All right. I was wondering if you had something new to add. No, no. Right. I know that people are dumb in times of crisis. It's well, just the way it is. What, what? That that's just an in, that's actually an interesting thing to say, but but I I just feel that so much was per, literally perpetrated without concern, and uh, and that troubles me. Yeah, and, and at least an apology or how this is what we are an explanation we had to do Politicians it. Politicians don't apologize. I don't know if you ever noticed that. And they don't change directions no, either. Well, they, again, you know, no, there was so I much. I think now that. Oh, sorry. Uh, so I was just thinking about the where, where you always keep going. Yeah, no, I did just the, everything. I know and people went through an awful lot. I'm thinking about all the people who lost their businesses, you know, even mm -hmm. if they were willing yeah. to eat outside the restaurants. I, I'm thinking about the landlords who lost buildings because there was a moratorium on evictions, which I totally understand, but what good was done for them so that they could hold onto their building. I mean, just so much stuff happened. And I, and I, oh, I know. I think in time you'll see more and more of the anger, but I, I actually still think it's too soon for anyone to really speak out for fear of being judged or criticized for doing so. So I, I think, you know, more and more of this is going to come out as time goes on. I think if you bring up the Ukraine and you see the devastation of buildings just going to the ground and people dying in the street and you see like real war and stuff like this, it kind of puts it in perspective and people are going to speak kind of like, hmm. Maybe we can yeah. build, maybe we can come back out of this. You know, if they, if they can live through this, I mean, I think we can make it. And it's yeah. just, it, it, because we're, we're kind of, I hate to say it, but some people are really pussies and they need to just stop it. You know, wow. they need to just say, okay, okay, we're not going to listen to this crap anymore. I'm going to say what well, I want and you know, move forward. And David, you're, you're, you know, you're embedded here in Southern California. We, we move around a bit. And it is a lot different in yeah. Texas. Yeah, a lot like different. Texas is good. Yeah. We went to New Orleans. We went to Austin. Wait, we went to, went to Nashville. I was, I was down in Florida. It's a lot different in Florida. You, yeah. you, you, you didn't even recognize the United States down there. Yeah, so, so. we gotta, we got to quit, you know, worrying so much about yeah. this stuff and think about important stuff. All right, listen, i got to take a quick break here, oh, David. Did you have somebody on Clubhouse waiting? He never came up to the oh, phone. Okay. So well. and anybody, by the way, if you're on Clubhouse, you want to ask questions, uh, raise your hand and I will pull you up. You'll be streaming on multiple platforms. If you do come for a question, uh, we're here with Dr. David Swanson. Uh, hang on a second. Let me get our stuff up. There we go. Uh, do you want to give your website out in addition to the, the, uh, the uh, Rock Collective? 
No, today I just want to talk about uh, the Rock Collective. You know, that I think uh, I, okay. I'm doing as much as I can to help these bands out, in addition to helping out all these bands, really to kind of help Sweet Relief and Check Your Head podcast. I, you know, these are great organizations that do a lot of good. And now more than ever before, a lot of these musicians uh, who, who you know, are either struggling to make ends meet or they're struggling with mental health or substance abuse issues, uh, these organizations go a long way to help these people. So I, I, I just want to do as much as I can to help out there. I see that your uh, the the Rock for Life event is honoring uh, Amy Winehouse, Chester Bennington, and Taylor Hawkins, all people I know knew well. Um, yeah. Amy, little peripherally, but I've got a lot of information on her. So let, let's talk about those guys when we get back, okay? Let me take a minute to tell you about Blue Mics. Over the two years we've been working with our friends at Blue Mics, the world has completely adapted to working and meeting virtually. So whether you know it or not, you probably spent a lot of time in front of a microphone. I take it from someone who has spent probably half my life on a microphone. Sounding good is extremely important. And because of blue mics, I have never sounded better. But a good mic isn't just for broadcasting. Quality audio makes a big impact on whomever is listening on the other end, from coworkers to clients to friends. Clear sound can make all the difference. Thanks to blue mics, you don't need complicated or expensive equipment to get professional results. For simple plug-and-play setups, try Blue Mic's Yeti series. It plugs right into your USB port on your computer. Need something more robust? Blue's got an entire line of professional XLR mics, like the mouse or the blueberry we use here in our studio, as well as the more compact Encore 300. I love it for clear quality sound when we travel. Bottom line, there is no excuse to be the one on the conference call who sounds like you're in a tunnel or underwater. I cannot say enough about Blue Mics, and once you try one, you will never go back. To take your audio to the next level, just go to drdrew.com blue. That is drdrew.com B-L-U-E. I was waiting for God of Butts to come up for uh, to the uh, podium here, and he ended up. <laughs> God of <laughs> that's butts. his name. He ended up putting some questions into the. Um, I want to meet the God of Butts into the chat, and he asked. Uh, he's asking. It's an interesting question. What about the replacement of government oversight boards with something like a blockchain network function used to track credentials and case history for the chain doctors, so to speak? And he says, "Hi, Susan," in the uh, chat room here. Hi. Uh, so I I am not. I wouldn't. I don't understand blockchains enough to know how that would work. But I, I love. The, we have, here's my gravest concern. In my profession, the reason there was grotesque failure was because the profession has been overly centralized. People are now employees of hospitals and large insurance systems, and the decision making has been centralized rather than the way a profession is supposed to be managed and practice, which is decentralized, which is highly trained individuals using their best practices with motivated patients and doing, making decisions on their behalf, not following therapeutic pathways designed by insurance companies and hospital administrators. This, this is why my profession froze during this pandemic, and it was a horrific thing to see. So the idea that a blockchain type situation, he's saying it's a public accounting record where a block is all money in every account and the chain is the history of the block and still don't get it. <laughs> God of butts. But, but, uh, but I do, I would like to see something uh, and, and I'm all, I'm perfectly happy to imagine it as something uh, 
digital or something in newer technologies because this was a grotesque failure but it needs to be decentralized and my understanding is that's one of the strengths of blockchain so uh, perhaps that is the way to go uh, did you were you aware of that also david uh about blockchain or about just the need you know for about the, the, de the central how medicine was centralized so ridiculously that the doctors couldn't practice couldn't do anything just froze we, we were unable you know, to work it just was ridiculous yeah, I wasn't fully aware of that. No, um, you know, I hear little rumors about reimbursement rates for a COVID diagnosis at the hospital versus other things. I thought that was a little, um, uh, you know, I, I, I it just sound like it would promote bias. You know, I, I, I don't know, but you would know well, better. No, than actually, I would. that was that was, but that was actually intentional. That because otherwise the hospitals would have been shut down. So th that was actually uh, a they they actually encouraged bias to keep the hospitals open, um, and yeah. it worked. And then it then then of course then there were excesses <laughs> after it worked then they went too far, but let, let's talk about the people some of the people you are honoring at the Iraq for Life event uh, that is April twenty fourth four p.m. at the Hard Rock Cafe Hollywood. Amy Winehouse I don't know if you know her story but she was so poorly served by the alcohol treatment world in the Great Britain it was awful like awful you can't believe if you watch the documentary on amy winehouse you will see one and only one doctor attempt to actually help her and render care the rest of them were enabling shitheads it was beyond belief to me so that's why she died i mean she had all kinds of other crazy things going on and she was a terrible alcoholic but the the treatment she got was atrocious yeah, no, I think it's it's really sad, and it's sad for a lot of these people. Kurt Cobain, very similar uh, situation, you know. And I think you know he, what, what I he had good treatment. He had a lot of treatment. He just was a terrible heroin addict. I mean, really bad. Now, in today's world, he might have gotten some replacement therapies and things like that. They didn't have those things back then. He was really. I, I've talked to people that treated him, and he was about as sick as you can get. And so the prognosis and a, you know, a very, very polydiagnosed, very sick, uh, heroin addict, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. My understanding was that he walked away from, uh, from Exodus. Is that not true? He was in Exodus recovery and he, he walked, walked away. He left, he left many programs, many, many programs. I, yeah. I've heard stories up and down, up and down. Uh, and you yeah. can't help people if they, you were not allowed to, you know, in this particular, in these states on the West, you know, he was in Washington and California. You're not allowed to do anything. You'd let him go. You just got to let him go. That's why we have uh, all those people in the streets outside David's window. It's just because we're not <laughs> allowed to help people that whose brains aren't working right. And, and then Chester Bennington though, to me is the saddest of the sad. He, he, he yeah. was the greatest guy. He loved his kids. He loved his wife. He had real deal recalcitrant, chronic, recurrent, major depressive disorder, like a real deal. And I, I don't, I wasn't involved in his care, but I, I was aware that he was treated and took it seriously. But God, I, he had many different um, waves of serious suicidal intent, and it was always sort of there as a as a potential. Uh, potential, uh, you know, fatal, fatal, uh, expression of his depression, but it still was a shock. It was a shock that it, you couldn't, that couldn't be effectively treated and someone with all those resources and smarts and, you know, things to be thankful for. It really did. To me, Chester was an example of how treacherous depression can be. Yeah. And he spoke openly about that. And, you know, the thing about him in particular that I've noticed is I've done 
some some research on a lot of these guys is that he spoke openly about it. He advocated for depression. He he wanted people to do something about it. You know, even though he couldn't save himself, he he was out there trying to help others. Yep. So that was great to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, this, and, this and he event, did advocate for himself. This event, you know, all of these all of these bands who have come into the collective, uh, one thing I'll say is that they've all been inspired by these these artists, you know, these these, you know, um, the the idea that because because really what I did was I opened it up to all of the bands and said, listen, is there somebody that you would like to honor? Uh, you know, this is to raise money for mental illness. And so they all came forward with these bands. I mean, you know, uh, this is this might sound kind of odd, but it's my first time hearing about Elliot Smith. I, I mean, I've heard, you know, the Goodwill Hunting theme song and things like that. But, you know, there's an artist in our collective that just really was touched by Elliot Smith. Um, you know, Paul Gray from Slipknot, another one you, I'm sure you've, you probably have spoken to. Um, but, uh, you know, just a lot of sad stories here. And um, there's such a need you know, to, to, to spread Paul, awareness. Paul was, uh, I, Paul, Paul is an example of somebody who was getting it and got, was get was sober a lot of the time. And that, that always breaks my heart when they're, they're in it doing well. And all of a sudden this disease does its thing. It's really bad. Yeah. Just, just, ugh. The, the, again, these are the, the, this is what I, what I want to sort of point out is how, how treacherous these illnesses can be. I mean, even in good hands and proper care and get it's still, it's, it's almost like, it has a kind of the flavor of like a cancer. It just recurs and does its thing, you know, and we, we in spite of all our best efforts and, and, uh, it, it, some of these illnesses, that's the way they are. Um, yeah. However, you know, I've noticed, however, you've noticed. Oh, I was going to say in my practice, what I've noticed with whether it's musicians or whether they're actors or whatever it is, I think oftentimes it makes it worse. And it's, you know, you brought up the point of enabling, you know, like a lot of, you know, caregivers will just be yeah. the yes people because they are because of the money yeah. that's involved. But even more than that, yeah. I mean, I, I remember having an actor who told me I can't let word get out that I have cancer because I'll never get a job again. You know, so it's one thing to be suffering yeah. and to be in such anguish, but the pressure to not let anybody know. I mean, talk about, we don't want people to isolate when they're depressed, but yet a lot of times these people feel like they have to isolate from the world for fear that it's going to be, you know, talked about everywhere. They, they don't want, they want to almost be invisible. So I think these professions in particular put a lot of pressure on people and oftentimes make this worse. Yeah, the 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 reality is that sometimes they can't be insured if they're straightforward about what's going on, you know, and as, as insurance is put on some of these productions and things or shows and tours. The other thing, and, and to your point, I don't know if you saw it as vividly as I did over the years, but the the problem wasn't the problem wasn't the public life so much as the return to work. They were always in a hurry to return to work. Both because they had commitments yeah. and they made lots of money, and they and people who were making money off them wanted them back to work, and so they'd always be leaving treatment, not necessarily prematurely, but not when we'd like them to. Taking half measures, I'll bring a sober coach along. It's going to be okay, you know. It, it really is the returning to work prematurely that got in the way in my situation with my patients. Did you find something similar? Um. So you're aware of like insurance issues and things like that, that I'm completely unaware of, because I, I never really get into that with people. Um, what I hear about more so is just worry. It's, here's somebody who's suffering, but it's it's like the worry of the people who are dependent upon them. So, for example, there was one person right. who That's was it. in a production and they had 50 to 100 people that their jobs depended on them showing up. So how yep. do you take time yep. to cover for yourself when you've got these people depending on you? The idea that... Um, 
you know, I, I can't connect with my family. I want so badly to be able to have a connection, yet I'm so numb. I don't feel anything. So I can't even connect with my family. And just what I talked about earlier is that that pressure of, you know, having a brand and, um, you know, how the impact that this will have, not just on you, but everybody else around you because of the brand and what people depend on you to be. So there's a yes. lot of pressure. And so I can only imagine what, what these, you know, I, I oftentimes, you know, uh, I, I, I think about, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, uh, by the way, never worked with Ozzy. I've never met Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, but the idea of performing in front of that many people on stage, uh, you know, what a great thing that must be to feel that energy. But I can't imagine life after you've experienced that, trying to step away from that. And how do you fill that sort of void? So there's that going on, too. Yeah. There's just so much on. And, and, and I think the position that these people are put into only complicates it. Yeah, no, you are, that is, you are framing it differently, but saying exactly the same thing I was saying, because the people that make the money oftentimes will guilt the brand, so to speak, with, with all of these people are relying on you, you'll be fine, come on, we can't cancel this thing. It's often, the, it's exactly the same phenomenon that gets them back to work prematurely and focused on work and not on their recovery. And then the other issue of, um, what was the other thing you just said at the end there my brain um oh the the uh loss of that's the other thing that freaks them out completely is that they're going to lose this thing it's not that yeah. the stress of being up there as ozzy is such a big deal it's that it will go away and one day yeah. i'll lose it that is tr that that thought of losing this thing that is so uh gratifying to them is what gives them uh anxiety about it people always think oh it's so hard to be a celebrity no 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 they love it. It's losing the celebrity status that stresses them out. That that's yeah. what they don't like. So and the whole very interesting. It's interesting. Into, I, there's a whole there's a whole other thing. We were talking earlier about like you know not wearing a mask in public and and the fear that that somebody would look at you like you're a bad person. But also in that yeah. industry too, it's like if you haven't done something recently, then nobody wants you. You know that, that that's the fear, right? So uh, yeah, no, that pressure is definitely there, and I think it's very profound for a lot of these people. And and the having a medical or psychiatric illness that does you know just enough to tip a job away something like that. Susan, you're saying yes. I heard you say, but you were not on mic. Yeah, and don't don't go on Fox News. I mean, you'll never work in Hollywood again. Is that true? I, I, right, right, <laughs> right, right. No, or, or, because you know, you yeah. talk a national you'll, and local you'll get affiliate. blackballed. Yeah, local affiliates, local affiliates, okay, but but you have to qualify it every time you talk. I talk about. It, I have to go. It's the local Fox Eleven O and O. Think Simpsons and Family Guy. That's the thing. I you can't just say I was on Fox Eleven. That you have to you have to go through a whole thing. Like no, no, I no. It's a local affiliate, no, not Fox. No, no. Okay. All right. You have to be scared of friends there. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I just. No, people in Hollywood are afraid of losing all the time. They're constantly worried about it because it's so um, it's so judgmental. It's so political, and like if you're not hot, you're you're nothing. You well, know, it's except like except you live now in a time that thank God Susan set this studio up so we could have a, an outlet to the world, and this is a different time when uh, you don't have to worry about cowards. These people are all cowards, is what they are. Let's let's be honest about what it is. They, they are they are cowards. They are afraid that they're going to lose their job if they have a failure. They are unwilling to take any risk, and the whole thing is collapsing around them. Television is just collapsing. Yeah, it really is. And and it is a it is a new day I when mean, people can go directly to 
and they're the, and the, the they watch they watch a major movie star slap another person on stage, and they're not willing to call that out. Or I'm, I'm everybody glad you just that up. I'm everybody just that says, up. "Oh, well, you know." It's okay because so, they're afraid to lose their job. So I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot. You obviously don't know Will Smith, but when you when you see that, I'm just wondering what your thoughts were because I, I had a real specific take. I'll share with you in a second, but I don't want to lead the witness just yet. Uh, so what what did, did you have any thoughts about what you were saying? Not necessarily what caused it, but what you thought about it. All right. So just to be clear, you know, I I don't watch these things. I don't. You know, I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm I'm usually out running around with my family or doing something. Um, but, you know, for me, obviously it was, uh, I didn't believe it when I first heard about it. So of course I had to take a look and see if I could find video. And very quickly, I was able to find video. At first I thought it was staged because I couldn't even believe that that he would do such a thing. Yeah. And I'm a little aware of yeah. some of the stuff going on in that relationship. Uh, but it was an assault, you know? And I guess the part that really disturbed me the most was seeing, uh, without mentioning names, seeing a few people uh, consoling Will Smith after he hit another person, as opposed to Chris Rock, that yeah. that to me blew me away. You know, I, I don't know why you would be consoling yeah. that person. You know, this is you should be consoling yeah. the guy that that just got hit. He was assaulted. Yeah. So the, I feel the, like that too. And then it's like, you know, it reminded me of Michael Jackson. You know how he just kept taking drugs and he start. He was always out of it and he was always doing weird stuff and he had lawyers and everything. But the people around him were like, "Oh, it's okay. You know, it's yeah." Fine. That is that is very much it, Susan. And that that David, that was my take, which is, I I get to see some of these celebrities that do in when situations when the normal, you know, uh, basic boundaries and parameter of civilization of the last 3,000 years are just seemingly the person is unaware of them or violates them. You know, the relationship between an audience and a performer, that you're sitting in the audience at the Academy Awards and seemingly unaware of these things and violating all those boundaries that have been in place since the Greeks were, you know, performing in amphitheaters. That, when I would see people that did things like that and shut the door and evaluate them, what was going on was way worse than you imagine. <laughs> really bad, bad, bad. So, so whatever's going on, with Will Smith, I'm gravely concerned because it, it's it's far more than we imagine. That's that, that's sort of what I took away from it. You you would have to agree too. I I always am asking the question like, what are they suffering with that would compel them to act in such a way? And that's one of the things you do with your clients yeah. when they're really offended and they take yeah. things personally. That to start to understand right. that it might have been an attack on you. It was kind of like an expression of what they were going through. But you and I both know that there are people as well who feel entitled. And I'm not saying Will Smith feels this way, but there are people who feel so entitled. I mean, it's a little odd to see that happen. And the next thing you know, you, you see him dancing at the governor's ball. Like that, that's what's going right. on. That no, no worry, no guilt, no nothing. No, it's party time. You know, that, that was a little odd too. So the optics of that didn't look great. Um, and and no. there, Something, there, there certainly wrong. are that they just don't have that connection. And so they feel entitled and, and they're, you know, there's characterological yeah. things that would, would lead to that. So the, that said, and, and not, not good, not good characterological things, I would say, I mean, <laughs> psychopathological, not, not just, not just character. Yeah. Like we some speak of commonly real psychopathology. Um, let, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Drew's not afraid to be on Fox news. He's going to be on the Gutfeld show next Monday. So Marianne, <laughs> number uh, one, Marianne, come on show up to the podium. Well, but 
I would happily be on CNN like I was for 10 years or MSNBC or anywhere else if they would allow me, but they don't. It's bizarre. You're only allowed to go certain places, and, and you know they won't take you whatever. for for whatever. It's just, nobody wants it, to be on CNN anymore. I, I'd go talk at CNN. No. I, I would go no. chat there. Oh. No, you wouldn't let me. That's this, listen, this, is a, this, this is. I remember doing that show with you. I'm I'm shocked that you're you're not there anymore. It was a great show. Bert yeah. was a great producer. I, I don't right. know what happened That's there, right. but you know, but uh, but you know, the thing is, is that that goes again. Uh, to the point of where we're talking about just culturally where we are as a country right now and, and the fear to do the wrong thing and, and, and even going out with a, without a mask on, things like that. The saddest thing is that nobody trusts media anymore. There's no place you can go to get, I mean, you have these offshoots of, you know, these social media apps or things like Parler or whatever it is, where, and still yet yep. you don't have a general consensus about where you can actually get the data. There's no centralized data point where you can just read it. Everything's an editorial and it makes it really trust, uh, tough to trust anything, which makes it tough for us to all connect yep. and get behind some. It's true. It's very true. Uh, Marianne, I've asked you to come to the podium. You just have to accept my invite. Your hand is up and I've asked you to come and uh, you're welcome to come to the podium if you wish. Uh, before you do, you may have to wait for Josh because I'm uh, asking him as well. So if you come hey, to the, hey, Josh, what's happening? Hey, Dr. Drew. Um, not much. Boy, this is a really good uh, conversation with a clinical psychologist. Um, I uh, I want to know how we can stop putting, I, I think I heard you mention this. It's about boundaries. And I want to say, how do we stop putting all of our stuff out there? These, is, these are your words, Dr. Drew. In, in, in this thing we called social media or the metaverse. Yeah. Because I feel like we're hidden there and it's very easy to put all of our stuff onto someone else because we assume there's no blowback mm -hmm. because it's hidden. It's the internet. It's, it's streaming show. It's whatever. Yeah. So, uh, Josh has been very concerned and, and part of underlying his question is his Marianne, hold on a second. I've got to answer Josh's question first. He's been very worried. I've been very worried about projection. Like I, I realized, I saw, heard a great, a psychoanalyst the other day said something, I just a nice profound nugget. He said, you know, when people with character pathology, particularly narcissistic spectrum, you cluster B say, uh, you are, what you should hear is I am. That every, it's really their projection of their stuff. And so I've been very concerned about all this projection that people are doing when they don't realize that's what they're, all the Nazis they see and all the, this that they see out in the world is really fears about what's going on inside them. And alongside of that projection, envy, lots and lots and lots of envy. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on these things. Well, a, a couple of things. One, uh, when we're looking at social media in general, um, you know, it's really sad that these things tend to be more of a highlight of a person's life. So there's no way to look at social media and walk away feeling good about your condition. Uh, it's just not. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that you're going to make something out of someone's life where you see it on social media or other places, I think, has more to do with your history and experience. And I would tell you the thing that I think is most dangerous, uh, and this has kind of been the theme of everything we've been talking about so far, is that people buy into, in other words, people have a hard time thinking for themselves, so they will buy into a train of thought or philosophy. And that's what the health crisis was all about, this is what you're saying earlier. And people do it with regards to everything. So rather than thinking about the potential outcomes or the potential reasons for something happening or why someone did something and being open to it, 
They have their mind made up before they even look at the situation. And then they're going to come up with a projection that suits that philosophy. It'd be great if people would take a step back and start to understand from a perspective what the alternatives or what the options or what the reasons potentially could be and to be open about those things. But we want to feel like we know what's going on. And so we buy into a philosophy and we create what it is that we need to create to support our own philosophy, yep. at least the one we buy into. It might not yep. even be ours. Yep, that's right. That's right. Okay, Marianne, come back up to this podium. Your mic was making a lot of noise, so I put you back in the audience, but you are now invited to speak. So come on up, Marianne. Your hand is up and you're, you are clicked on again. Uh, there you are, I think. I don't know why Clubhouse is so clunky this way, Susan. I, I, I don't think it's anything I'm doing. It must be something about the way people are notified to... I don't know. It's very odd. Um, I, I love Clubhouse, sure. but we're going to try Twitter Spaces sometime soon as well. So make sure you're following Dr. Drew on Twitter as well. Twitter Spaces. So you've got to follow me on Twitter to get to Twitter Spaces. Is that how it works? Yeah, it's connected directly to your that Twitter works. account. And it's kind of their almost like, I guess, their copy of what Clubhouse is. But we're going to start trying both let's of do them it. when we get back let's from the Let's do it. It's at trips. Dr. Drew. Let's, let's do it. I'm ready. I have a hard out five minutes so i hate to like leave you guys but all about right five minutes i gotta do it let, let me let me get you i'll get you going i'll see if i can get these calls answered and uh i'll let you go but thank you for being here let's give let's give the plugs again where do you want them to go hard rock april 21st four o'clock right rock at for four o'clock support some great causes see some great live bands playing uh, in addition to that, you can follow us on Instagram at LA Rock Collective, and you can also see us online and see our calendar there, as well as our partners and a lot of great musicians at rockcollective.net. David Swanson, everybody, we thank you so much for being here. We miss you, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Miss you guys, too. I can't wait to see you. Take care. All right, man. Take care. Thank you. Tomorrow, I said we're going to have an expert in the effects of social Ta -ta. media and, and electronic media, that kind of thing. Tata, uh, this uh, Miss Metal shows. Uh, who is? I don't know who that is. There we are, Anna. Anna, what's going on? Your on, your mic is muted, so unmute there. There you are. Hi. Sorry. Hey, no problem. No problem. I got to get through. Hey there. Um, so I'm in my, I'm in recovery as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, my boyfriend, he's also a musician and, you know, uh, we're both former meth addicts and, um, but we're, we're not celebrities. Right. So, uh, <laughs> it's, um, so I was curious to know what your idea of, um, when someone's ready, what does that mean exactly? Because right now, you know, my only resource is the 12 step program and that's, you know, it's got its pros and cons with it, of course, but that's the only resource I have because I'm just in a situation where there's no way I can afford treatment or anything like that. It, but it, so, so, what, so are you clean now or are you having trouble staying yeah, clean? Uh, eight, uh, approaching eight months. Okay. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm getting your question because you've been going to NA or something and it's working and you're doing fine. What well, do you here's, here's an example. So I had to um, break up with my sponsor yesterday because um, she, she doesn't work and I have to work mm -hmm. or I'll, or I'll be homeless or mm -hmm. and, and I'll still, we're still struggling. We're, we're going to lose our place regardless. It looks like, and we're in Silicon Valley. We're not going to be able to make it out here. So we're just trying to sort things out. And while I'm in recovery, it's just, you know, my, my mind, my mind's still kind of healing, you know, um, from my understanding. So it's just been really, really like stressful and difficult, but, um, 
I'm not someone that qualifies for disability or any type of benefits or anything like that. And so um, that's why I had to leave my sponsor and find a new one, you know, because she didn't really respect and understand that I have to work and I have, I have a schedule I need to meet and I'm trying to grow my career and everything. So, um, and when you, when you mentioned with celebrities and everything, you, you told them that, well, they're not ready yet. You know, like, and I know that they're, they're definitely a different caliber in that sense, but I so, mean, what does so, actually mean ready? Like, I, re, re, I'm willing to meet anybody where they are, right? Mm -hmm. But when somebody is not following direction, when you're not mm -hmm. following direction, that implies that they're not all the way into treatment. They're not all the way there with it at this point. And so we'll sort of glibly, you know, amongst ourselves kind of refer to that as not ready. Uh, and when people have a near-death experience, they usually are very willing they all of a sudden will do anything you that is directed towards them both by their sponsors and their peers and their treating team they just do what they're supposed to do and follow directions and do all the you know the structure associated with getting better and they get better um i i think any i i've seen people that i you know didn't think we're going to make it make it and do great so i i try not to pass judgment on you got to be careful with you know the terminology we use because somebody's not ready. I don't. I'm not judging them. I, that's just sort of a, a state they're in that I have to kind of contend with. See if I can get them all the way in. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm wondering what else your sponsor was angry about because that does or not angry about, but pushing you about that made you guys uh, conflict. No, it was just um, you know I have to. So when it comes to in-person meetings, like I, I mostly have to do like online meetings right now, which I don't mind, but I already work on the computer all day. So I really thrive at in-person meetings mm -hmm. and I kind of have to commute to them right now, you okay. know, and okay. so the gas and everything. And so she, you know, I have to go during commute time on the one, you know, it, it, it's very time consuming and either way, I will find a new sponsor. You know, yeah, very, you find, look, I, I don't think people should ever yeah. feel bad at getting, yeah. getting a new yeah. sponsor. I think that is a, that is a, just make sure yeah. it's somebody with a lot of time under their belt. Look, can I, can I, can I query your situation so you can help other people understand what meth addiction does? I'm well, I think this is a good topic because I am someone that didn't see myself becoming a meth addict. I was pretty, anyways, it, I'm really suffering from depression right now. I gained a lot of weight right now. So I'm kind of struggling with that, mm -hmm. but I didn't think it would become like a deadly issue for me. I, when I heard like, oh, you know, meth addicts, they die like in the five years when they start using, I, I kind of laughed at that when I started using, right? But um, now I take it serious because my boyfriend and I, we've been losing people in our circle that we used to use with left and right. It's like a weekly basis we're losing people. And in like in really horrific ways. <laughs> yes, meth is meth is very odd. It kills in yeah. very strange ways, but it kills, and people yeah. are, can be sick with it for a long time, and then all of a sudden they're dead. Uh, yeah. And, and but you must have did you have some or certain you've seen? I don't know if you personally had, but certain you've seen meth addicts become paranoid and psychotic. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah, I've I've been fifty one fifty. You know, I've um you know, but I've also suffered from complicated grief because i had an ex commit suicide in mm -hmm. 2014 and that's what perpetuated my addiction from cocaine to meth mm -hmm. and um and so i but i kind of had like a because I, you probably hear a lot of meth addicts we kind of like see like the, the like evil in the world all of a sudden like that we so i became more spiritual too i kind of like my my catholic faith kind of like i feel like kind of saved me from the situation Good. Because, I mean, why don't you get more involved with that i mean really well i mean I, as I said, I'm, I'm full Polish and I was, um, I was raised Catholic. We're not that religious, 
I, but, but, I kind of like, but, but maybe just you said it saved you. Maybe just for the sake of, you know, with meth structure and leading a certain kind of life and following direction, it's really important for meth. <laughs> Because, oh, yeah. you know, you got to just do the do. And even if it's just going through the ritual, I'm not saying you have to embrace everything the Catholic Church has to offer. I'm saying that the ritual and just being in that kind of environment could be, could, yes, yeah. could be very no, useful for you. No, that's why I really want to, even my boyfriend now, like we're trying to get his <laughs> felonies taken care of so he can travel to Europe and stuff like that. Hopefully they'll let him in. But, you know, um, there's, you know, I, 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 I'm struggling with the Catholic Church, just like on like not spiritually, but like I I'm I understand their their flaws and, because and, I grew up on that. But. And I suspect I, I don't know how you can arrange this, but it kind of seems like and you know a mood stabilizer or something in that order might really help you. And I you know there are free services around. Okay. You know and uh, and how how do I navigate that? Because I definitely need some assistance with that because I, I am I struggling it. with. I, I hear yeah. it. I hear it. Um, Thank you there's susan what was the name of that place in beverly hills that was free services was it magnolia house are you listening god you're asking the wrong person um i'll have to look it up where are you anna where, where are you calling from i'm in i'm in the bay area and uh, it's and uh, the mess out here is oh yeah <laughs> thank yeah, you yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> it's that it's that p2p stuff it's 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 crank it's it's made out of you know it's chemicals from the auto garage it's really bad oh, i know I know. Really I bad. mean, I'm look. I, look, here's the deal. I'm glad you were alive. I'm glad you're in recovery. It, your life depends upon taking care of it right now and staying on the course. And they're usually, if you maybe you see San Francisco, they're usually free services you can get for psychiatric care, at least on a limited basis. At least you can see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, something like that. And I would bet you see San Francisco Department of Psychiatry would have something. Mood state. You know, you have to make recovery possible. And uh, oftentimes, a, a, a mood stabilizing agent is very important for a meth addict. Uh, Chris, I'm going to bring you up. What's going on? You're on mute. I love how she's I'm so off open. mute now. Hey, Doc, how you doing? Good. Hang on, Susan. Who? How Anna was so? Open? I love how she's so open. It's about, just like about her meth addiction. Yeah, about her drug addiction. I, you know, if you're around meth addiction, any addiction, to, to be they hide it because they want to keep doing it. So they want to. They have to be open and honest in order to recover. But it only affects good people. It affects, you know, and turns them into yeah. things they're not. And so to, to be sort of ashamed of it is a bizarre concept. It's I know, a bizarre I've met idea a lot of drug addicts. It. I get it. Yeah, if you're around it, it's a bizarre. But she was just very enthusiastic about Well, she's a little, little too enthusiastic right now. So yeah. that's why I think I think she's having mood fluctuations. That's okay. It's yeah. nice that she reached out. Absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 have my, I feel it. I feel what's going on, and I want her to recover. Kristen, go ahead. Okay, That's so right. um, I've been, over the past month, I've been weaning myself, working with my doctor, uh, switching from one antidepressant to another. Okay. I've been coming off of Effexor and going on to Wellbutrin. Okay. Just because I was experiencing weird side effects and my very smart doc was like, well, that's not good. And mm -hmm. I agreed. And... I really wish that somebody had told me six years ago, I started taking Effexor after my last child was born because I had terrible postpartum. Mm. And um, yesterday, I it was the craziest thing. Mm -hmm. I started experiencing those zaps that everybody talks about. Okay, so you got um, them. 
That's nasty. Yep. I, I was an absolute train wreck. Yeah, they're terrible. And it was terrible. Yeah, they're terrible. Because my kids were around. I have three little kids, 11 and under. And, you know, trying to keep myself under control. Mm -hmm. And, well, I have, you know, three sets of eyes looking at me wondering what's wrong with are, mom. Are, are, you and, taking, are you taking uh, venlafaxine or desvenlafaxine? Venlafaxine. Okay. And how much? Uh, I am going down from, oh, golly. I would have to look. Uh, it was a it was a large dose. Yeah, you got to go really slow, really slow. I think I went too fast. Yeah. But my question, I mean, what I'm going through, I'm going to fix. I always have to fix it because I have people who rely on me to fix these things, and I will. But my question today is for people who have families and kids. And you're trying to explain to them, like, I'm, mom's not sick. Mm -hmm. Mom's just dealing with something. And that something is depression. Mm -hmm. I tried explaining it to my eight-year-old last night because she kept asking me over and over. And she's a brilliant child. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how to explain these things to I, kids. I, I would talk about it in terms of uh, somatic symptoms, like fatigue and sleep and appetite and muscle aches and, and I, you know I have something goes on in my brain and I lose a certain chemical and it gives me these symptoms to so talk about mood per se or I, I I wouldn't even get into it you could talk about sadness things like that they would they would get that but yeah. affect is not something they can really understand until they're about 19 so yeah so I, it just breaks my heart because I'm I, I do my best I have always done my very best because I know that, you know, these kids rely on me. I'm their mom, and I'm I'm a damn good mom. But sometimes, you know, hey, mom, things mom, just don't work the way I want mom, them to be. You're allowed to get working. sick. <laughs> All right, don't stop it. Okay. Yeah, beating yourself up I'm is sorry. not good for your kids either. Hey, Susie wants to know what are the zaps. So let's try to explain to people. Coming off of certain uh, antidepressants, venlafaxine very classically, Paxil very classically. You get these weird feelings of zap up your neck and into your forehead or just into your forehead. They feel like electrical discharges, sometimes associated with sort of a dizzy feeling. Why don't you describe it, Chris? Well, for me, the zaps, it was very similar to what you were describing. Um, and then what you don't anticipate is you get these kind of, uh, it feels like you're uh, being electrocuted I mean, not like super electric here. Yeah. If you, just like a little a current, like a, know what that's like. a current. But then you head. start to feel anxiety mm -hmm. on top of that because you mm -hmm. don't understand what's going on. So you start or, to get numbness in your hands. Yeah, but they may the anxiety may be part face. of it. It may actually be a, a piece of the whole reaction in, in addition to psychologically reacting to it. But I think there's actually some component of anxiety as well. And it's and it's protean and it's difficult to describe and it's unpleasant. It's just, the, the unpleasantness is what's so characteristic of it. And you got to just go very slowly off these medicines. I've seen it from Zoloft. I've seen it from a lot of different SSRIs. But classically, Paxil and, and effects are the two that, that it's associated with the worst. So, well, well Chris, well, I'm slowing everything down. Good. I'm, I'm just stop it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you demand so much of yourself, and everything has to be perfect. And none of us are perfect, and all of us are biological. And I'm sorry you're miserable with this, but don't add to it by beating yourself up. Okay. 
Thank you so much. All right, Chris. Come in. Hang in there. All right. I think I better wrap stuff up. Uh, thank you all for being with us. Thank you to David Swanson. Tomorrow, I'm going to get you then our... Oh, hang on a second. Uh, this is going to be interesting tomorrow. Her name is Leslie Carr. And uh, she is an expert in trauma, stress, culture, but also digital technology, the impact on the brain. Eco-anxiety is something she's into right now. Uh, she's got a bunch of uh, <laughs> concerns about how climate change is is affecting people's psychology. Both, I, I suspect it's the actual the reality of it and the political wrangling around it and the anxiety provoking, uh, you know, sort of, uh, end of world messages that young people are getting is adding to terrible mental health issues. So we'll get into that with Dr. Leslie Carr tomorrow at three o'clock. And as I said, we'll be, uh, back on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Uh, guests have not been booked yet and Friday of the following week. So, Caleb, thank you for producing. Susan, good Caleb's job. Caleb's taking a vacation, too. Caleb's gone also. It's yeah. one of the reasons it's going to be wild before we get back. And uh, it, baby's not even going to be with them. Imagine that. Mm, it's the yes. first time oh, we are excited and scared about being away from him. <laughs> we, it's been a while. He's been in our lives. We don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. Take Wiss Chris with you. <laughs> we'll all, all get a nice little, nice little chill break. <laughs> she needs it. But she'll be okay, I hope. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, hang on one second, guys. Uh, all right, that's it. He we, doesn't like to go. Yeah, I don't like right. to go. Here it is. Oh, look at this, Susan. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> that's hysterical. I know. Make look faces. At, he looks just like you. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> He's my sweet boy. Fantastic. Oh, my God, I remember when you wanted to get pregnant. It's like I know. Remember came on my podcast, and they said they told oh, yeah. you you're gonna have a baby. Oh, Colby predict totally predicted properly? it. Oh, Col mm, uh, she's good with the baby predictions. Colby knew she's right got away. The baby thing. Yeah. It's that was crazy. All right, you yeah. guys, we're gonna wrap it up, and we'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Hey.